What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. I'm your favorite host, the Holy Mother Shut Your Mouth, the one, the only, Reverend Brandon T. Maxwell. Hi there, I'm Reverend Katie Ricks. I am the stated clerk of the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints. See, they don't sound holy. Y'all so business-like in the Presbyterian Church. When we make up titles, we be like the Archbishop and the Most Holy Reverend Prelate. Stated clerk! Y'all so business-oriented. Who's the third one over there? And y'all know me, I am the Chief Apostle. Hi, Shata. Hi, my God. I'm the potent prelate. I'm the most holy reverend. I'm the right reverend. The most holy reverend. Not just the reverend. And I'm not just holy. Uh-huh. I'm the most holy reverend. Ah. Paul said, I'm more saved than you all. You know? That's me. So you Paul? I'm Paul. I'm more saved than Paul. I don't read him. You gotta go. You gets to go. I'm the originator. The emancipator. You a Paul reincarnate. Yes. And Katie, you are Ruth. She Naomi. She Naomi. Yes, that is new intro music you hear. We got a new little vibe going on here. We were going to wait till episode 25 to debut it, but we just couldn't contain it any longer. Today, the category is Black Queer Realness. I'm excited to welcome my sister and friend, Whitney Rachel Elaine Bond, a Black woman and a black queer theologian who's also a PhD candidate in religious studies. Whitney's research centers on church, culture, sex, and sexuality, and the Reverend soon-to-be Dr. Bond and I are going to talk about Lil Nas X. I had to invite another black queer woman for this one. Of course, we're going to talk about his latest music video, but we'll also talk about the many ways his most recent antics are giving us life and giving black folks exactly what we need right here in this moment. That'll be our word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks Thanks be to to pod. pod. But first, we've got a few church announcements that require your immediate attention. And you know the drill. Email us if you have questions, comments, or just want to give us a shout out. The address is holyshit at feelatmedia.com. And with that, let's get into it. Our first church announcement comes to you from the real Reverend Mother Karen Teresa Ricks, a Mother Teresa if you're nasty. Karen? People of God, we are gearing up for our 25th episode celebration, and we are eager to hear from you. If it isn't too much of a burden, we kindly request that you head on over to theolabmedia.com on your computer or mobile device. Do it right now. Right now. (laughs) No, no. It's right now. It ain't right now. It's right now. (laughs) Right now. There you go. There you go. Do it right now. Well... Listen to the rest of this announcement and then do it. When you get there, there will be a purple hexagon in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen with a microphone in it. Tap the microphone and send us a question, shout-out, or comment that will be featured on our 25th episode. We love the community that is the Holy Shit Pod, and we love learning about what's happening in your lives and how you're experiencing each episode. If audio isn't your thing, you can also send an email to holyshit.com at theolabmedia.com, and we can read your question or comment on the 25th episode. The biggest thing is we want to hear from you. So can they do it now? They can do it right now. Right now, that's right. Right now. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've got an announcement too. Some of y'all are being blessed and you ain't tithing. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go Baptist on y'all and let y'all know. Jesus. Y'all got to pay where you eat. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
<laughs> if you're being fed, <laughs> then you need to pay where you eat. My God. You wouldn't go to Shoney's and eat on the buffet and not pay them after you finished. Listen, you wouldn't go to McDonald's drive-thru and get your food and then drive over to Burger King and pay them. Pay where you eat. Ah, you're sitting there tithing at that preacher that's not preaching nothing out that digital pulpit. Right. They ain't feeding your soul. You're getting blessed by us over here. So we ask you to dig deep and we invite Uh you to head on over to patreon.com forward slash the lab media and drop a little love offering in the basket as it is passed. Anything else? Are y'all done? <laughs> we promise that Brandon will not will not receive any direct proceeds from your giving. Y'all are horrible. <laughs> I feel like I need to learn some Baptist liturgy. Yeah. I feel like you actually have it inside of you. You just need to let it out. Yeah. You got a lot of experience coming out. <laughs> that happens every day. We've got three announcements for you today. The first is a follow-up from last week's conversation about our global overseer of worship, Bishop Lil Nas X. Bishop X is joining the fight against Cash Bell. If you were able to make it to the end of the music video that we talked about last week before you turned your nose up and rolled your eyes, you may have seen a small banner that invited you to donate to the Bell Project. The Bell Project is a national nonprofit organization on a mission to end cash bail, one of the key drivers of mass incarceration and structural racism in the criminal legal system. Through the Bell X Fund, Bishop X hopes to encourage other artists to join him and the Bell Project in the fight to end cash bail. Within hours of posting his new music video, the Bell X Fund raised over $20,000 for the Bell Project. So we invite you to consider heading on over to thebellproject.org forward slash bell hyphen X hyphen fund and contribute to this great cause. So we invite you to head over to bellproject.org slash bell hyphen X hyphen fund and contribute to this great cause. This is amazing. The video itself was something, and I know you all are going to talk about that later. But when I heard about this part of it, my response was immediately, Lil Nas X is changing the world. He he is seeking to do that. Like he's using the platform that he has now to make a stand and take action on things that are affecting his community and all of our communities. And I think that's what's important, right? What do you do with the platform that you have? Mm -hmm. So, of course, Lil Nas X isn't the first person to address this issue of cash bail. Here in the city of Atlanta in 2018, our newly elected mayor at the time, Keisha Lance Bottoms, signed an executive order that really eliminated cash bail for a lot of low-level offenses. And so there's been this push from people within certain circles to address this issue of cash bail. But now when you have somebody like Lil Nas X, and I know others have been a part of this fight, other celebrities, other folks with platforms, And so the fact that he is ascending this kind of uh, social ladder and is one of the world's, you know, biggest entertainers, um, but he's still uh, dealing and giving attention to these very important issues that affect people in our communities, I think is super important. Like Katie says, he's changing the world and he's doing right by his platform. And I appreciate that. Appreciate that, Bishop X. Have y'all had a chance to look at the video again? Because last week y'all were not ready to talk about it. Jesus. We weren't ready to talk about it just because it was so much. And I, you know, I actually haven't looked at it yet, but again. <laughs> you haven't seen it yet? I've seen it. I haven't went back and watched uh, it again to to look more closely. I don't think Jordan knew what I was watching again today before we came on here. And she like came around the computer and looked at what was on it and then backed around because I guess she thought <laughs> Surely she's seen it. That must have been something else. She probably thought she was watching porn. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love Lil Nas X. He's also such a troll. He posted a, another version of his music video. It says Industry Baby, parenthesis, uncensored version. And so you get to the shower scene where they're dancing naked and it does the little loading thing repeatedly and it won't stop. Because it's part of the video, it's not actually loading. Mm-hmm. And it just does that for the remainder of the song. So I thought I was going to get to see some goodies, oh, but gosh. he was just teasing. He be trolling everybody. He trolls the Christians. He trolls the homosexuals. He trolls those trying to see something for free on YouTube. I'm not dealing with you, Laboa. Put the uncensored <laughs> version up there for the people to see it. Wow. You <laughs> you got some issues. Did y'all hear about the baby and Lil Nas X's dad? No. I did not hear about this. What happened? Tell us. Oh my God. Y'all ain't keeping up with the culture. So the baby. Oh, I did hear something about the baby making homophobic statements. Is this what this is about? Yes. So at a performance, the baby randomly says in between songs, if you didn't show up today with HIV AIDS, any of them deadly sexually transmitted diseases, that'll make you die in two or three weeks. Put your cell phone light in the air. Hmm? Yeah, that's, it doesn't make sense. So he was inviting people to put their cell phone lights in the air as people do at concerts, but he only wanted people who didn't have HIV and AIDS or other STIs That'll make them die in two or three weeks. He only wanted those people's cell phone lights to be placed in the air. He then followed up by saying, ladies, if your pussy smell like water, put your cell phone light in the air. Fellas, if you ain't suck a nigga dick in the parking lot, put your cell phone lights in the air. Interesting. So keep in mind, this all happens after Lil Nas X's video releases. And then to follow that up, T.I., Lil Clifford out of Atlanta, defends the baby and says, if Lil Nas X can talk his shit, then the baby can talk his. Oh, my. So is there some internal beef between them that's underlying this? Or like, did one call out the other one directly? It's homophobia. Oh, okay. That's the only thing it can be. It had nothing to do with any of the songs he was singing. I think he watched the video, probably got a little turned on, didn't know what to do about it. So he felt like being homophobic (laughs) because there's specificity in his comment. Why did you talk about somebody sucking dick in the parking lot? Like, why couldn't it just be sucking dick more broadly? It sounds like a testimony. Well, the reason I asked my question is because of what you said, T.I. said, that if Lil Nas X can talk his shit, then so can Lil little Baby. I'm sound like Katie. The Baby. The Baby. It sounded almost like, you know, there was some direct beef there or something. So that's why I was, that's why I was asking. I think people were going in on the baby and then T.I. tried to come to his defense, I guess, to say it's a it's free speech. OK, no, that's not real. First of all, I I have an issue calling this man the baby. Like, why are you a grown ass man in the diaper? <laughs> <laughs> but Lil Nas X's daddy summed it up best. He responded to the baby's little homophobic rant by saying, sit down. And that's all the baby needs to do. <laughs> Apparently, he apologized. Well, he didn't have much of a choice because the people dragged him. Right, exactly. I'm actually happy to hear that. And then when you were seeing Lil Nas X daddy, I was like, hey, you mean the the straight daddy that's in the church? You know, like the fact that he is standing up for and defending uh, his son is great. Uh, because we all know folks who are like disowned and abandoned by their family or judged or all of this stuff. And, you know, and so I think there's still a lot of work that needs to happen between straight men and gay men in our communities. But this is, I think, is a start to see Lil Nas X's dad coming to his defense. I think that's powerful. And I think we need to see more of that from our straight men in our community. 
Absolutely. What is Lil Nas X's daddy name? Mr. X. (laughs) (laughs) False. I need you to get your life. His name is Robert Stafford's crazy. So uh, we need more Robert Stafford's and we need more Dwayne Wade's. I mean, I think about Dwayne Wade and how he came out in full support Mm -hmm. of his child when his child transitioned and made that public declaration to the world. I mean, we need more black men who have Mm -hmm. the courage to stand up and say, sit down to all them homophobes. Yep. Yep. In other black news, world-renowned U.S. Olympian Simone Biles once again proved why she is the GOAT, white people that's greatest of all time. Mm -hmm. But she didn't prove she was the GOAT for the reasons you may think. Last week, Biles surprised the world by withdrawing from the U.S. Olympic gymnastics team and individual all-round competitions to focus on her mental health. She said, keep your medals, keep your titles, I got to rest and prioritize my wholeness. I will tell you that I had tons of respect for Simone Biles before the Olympics even started. Like, she is an amazing athlete. She is a coach and mentor to the other gymnasts on that team. This, it shows, she knows who she is and she is willing to step away with integrity instead of endangering herself, challenging the team. I mean, she was back out there right away encouraging the person who had to step in. Jordan Childs, I think, was the person who had to step onto the uneven bars right then. You better know. I think she's amazing. And I think this proves that she's amazing even more. Yeah, I think uh, we've actually seen this particular Olympic cycle. Uh, But in the past, how athletes struggle uh, with issues pertaining to their mental health, but can't always be vocal about it, can't always express it, can't always talk about it in the public forum. I think, but this particular year has been different. Like you're seeing and you're hearing from athletes who are saying, we're people too. I mean, this is what Simone Biles said, you know, we're people as well. And I think it was just very noble of her to say, I don't want my stuff to affect the rest of the team. So I'm going to take a step back. Um, But I also think it was tremendous that she didn't lean into this idea that because I'm an Olympian or because I'm on this platform, I've got to just swallow my stuff and deal with my shit and go out here and perform because I got so many people I got to make happy and I got sponsors that have a certain expectation. But she said, nah, I got to take care of myself. And I think that that's powerful and important. I'm so happy to see that she made that decision. And I think it's a model for black people, black women specifically. And that's what I think I appreciate most. Like Black people deserve to rest and we deserve to prioritize our health physically and mentally. I never want a black woman or a black human more broadly to feel obligated to do anything at all. I just want us to focus on being healthy and free. I mean, I can't imagine the psychological impact of training your whole life or training for four years to participate in this sport on a global stage and then to walk into an empty stadium and to do all of that in silence. Hmm. Being reminded of the pandemic. Yeah. Being reminded of relatives who may have passed away. Being reminded of the months you spent in isolation and how your body is now different as a result of the pandemic and being on lockdown and not being able to go to your training facility out of fear of contracting a virus. So it's just another reminder to me, one, Black people should be able to do whatever the fuck we want to, whenever and however we want to do it without any expectations from white folks. So keep your little social media comments, white folks, who's mad at it, we don't care. And then two, the pandemic is still happening. Yep. 
It's getting worse. And it's going to have a significant psychological impact on us for years to come. Mm-hmm. Correct. I try not to read the comments because people just make me frustrated. But I think it's really good that you raise that point because the reality is, I think people think, okay, the Olympics are happening. Everything's normal. This is what we do. We cheer for the U.S. And then then the men's basketball team goes out and loses. And then, you know, the... The women's soccer team loses. Simone Biles steps out and we go, why is this happening? And then they start throwing criticisms at these folks. And the reality is they've been through the same stuff we are. They can't snap their fingers and make the pandemic go away. They are wrestling with it as well. And so I think in the ideal world, this Olympics provides an opportunity for us to ask questions about what this event is and what our desires that we're placing onto other people and trying to live vicariously through them. And our desires to get back to some state of normal or pre-pandemic life. Correct. I mean, keep in mind, this particular Olympic celebration is one year later than what it should have been. We are now engaged in the 2020 Summer Olympics a year later. Yep. And as we get new news about the Delta variant and the CDC has retracted its statement about masks and now saying everybody wear masks again and there's anxiety now coming back into our system concerning the pandemic, like so many institutions were saying we're getting back to working on site, being educated on site and focused on trying to restore some sort of pre-pandemic life and that's just not possible and we're having to pump the brakes on those plans and say, wait, it's likely the case that we're going to see another surge in October. Because if we continue tracking and trailing with Europe, as we have for the entirety of the pandemic, Europe is experiencing another surge right now. Three months from that, which we trail behind Europe, we're likely going to be in the midst of another surge. So what is October going to look like when you've initiated your back-to-work plan and now you got the pandemic going rampant and new variants causing sickness, even amongst the vaccinated? Yep. This feels like a thing that we just need to spend some time on. We want to do our part to make sure we're doing education on this podcast and contributing to the conversation around wearing masks, getting vaccinated, and just being mindful of the pandemic in general. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break, and then let's jump right back into a second round of church announcements because we do have one more, but let's focus on the pandemic a little bit longer after this quick break. If you've enjoyed listening to the Holy Shit Pod and Theolab Media's other podcast, Healing Jephthah's Daughters, I invite you to head on over to patreon.com forward slash Theolab Media and sign up to be a patron today. By signing up to be a patron, you'll begin getting access to exclusive content and other benefits, and you will also help to support Sam, Katie, and I, Lisa Weaver, and all the rest of us here at Theolab Media who are committed to transforming how humans engage faith, spirituality, culture, and the world around them. In case you have forgotten, Theolab Media believes that candid conversations rooted in vulnerability, mutual respect, and authenticity can inspire each of us to be more fully human if you are interested in supporting this work. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Theolab Media. And with that, let's get right back into it. So, Katie, you were saying, like, thinking about the numbers going back up, you look at these things every single day. You send me screenshots <laughs> and it makes me anxious. I can feel your anxiety every time the little iPhone bubbles start to go up on my screen. I'm like, here she comes again <laughs> with another stat from Johns Hopkins. <laughs> the anxiety for me comes from the fact that my child's going back to school. So, like, right now, I'm sitting in my home. I can work from here for now, and and that's comfortable. But now my child's going into a school with 1,500 people 
And she was just there last week for an orientation and got a cold. And I'm like, wait, everybody's wearing a mask. So if they can pass around a coronavirus cold, it's inevitable that that's going to happen, which led me to think about last year, what the school system had indicated was the benchmark for going back to school. And that first benchmark was Mm. to go drop below 100 cases in 100,000 people over the course of two weeks. Hmm. then that never happened. So they changed it to 10% positivity if it dropped below 10% positivity. Well, DeKalb County is now averaging 145 cases and the percent positivity for the state of Georgia is at 10%. It is about 9% for DeKalb County. So I'm trying to figure out if things are going to shift and how they're going to shift. And I'm not as anxious this time. I know you assigned that to me. I think I'm just trying to control the things I can control. And then I don't know what to do after that. It's interesting. Um, We talked about this earlier on the pod and we talked about how the science isn't changing. The virus is what's changing. Right. And I saw last week that there was a direct quote from Anthony Fauci who said the exact same thing. Like, hey, it's not the science that's changing. It's the virus that's changing. And some of these new discoveries shouldn't necessarily have us worry, but it should keep us vigilant, right? And it should keep us aware that the measures that we had undertaken earlier in this pandemic, we need to continue to do. Like just because we've been vaccinated doesn't mean we can become so comfortable that we're, we're walking around here still not being careful because we can have a virus that feels like a cold and be spreading it to others. And so we still need to mask up. We still need to do those things. Uh, as the CDC just last week gave an updated guidance on on vaccinated people wearing masks indoors, like Brandon said. So so we still got to be aware of those things. But since you said that same, I just want to clarify, when Jordan got her cold, we did go and get tested because we wanted to make sure it wasn't that. And so I think that's an important thing to remember too. If you start feeling bad, whatever it is, just go ahead and get tested because it's helpful to know. You'd be surprised at what the symptoms are. So that's part of the process of caring for others in the community as well. So, folks, please, 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 please go get vaccinated if you're not vaccinated already. There's some data that's come out that says we have a lot of these conservative folks who are anti-vaxxers who are actually secretly getting vaccinated, but still saying that they're not because of the cultural and political implications of being honest about their vaccination status. There's also data that says that young people aren't being vaccinated as quickly as they should be because so much of the earliest conversations about the coronavirus suggested that it was only older individuals who were uh, being hospitalized and becoming deathly ill with the coronavirus. Progressive liberal individuals are are getting the vaccination at a higher rate than other populations, but there are still poor folks, Black folks, progressive folks, Democratic folks who are not being vaccinated. And the surest way that we can get past this thing is if we get to a place where everyone is vaccinated, please, please, please be vaccinated. The second thing is, regardless of your vaccination status, put that mask back on when you are indoors. Mm -hmm. Now, I will look at you sideways if you are walking around with the mask on outside. Don't you approach me and tell me to put no mask on if we outside. Just keep your distance. Give me 50 feet. But when you are (laughs) indoors... Keep your mask on. If you happen to serve in a decision-making capacity concerning your organization's future and what you're going to do this coming fall, be prayerful, be mindful, and discerning about what your most faithful next step is. So our last church announcement for the day, which may take a little bit more time, we might even call this a mini word of pod. The Democrats have officially launched a probe into the white supremacist terrorist attack on the United States Capitol that occurred on January the 6th. 
Granted, I'm not certain if they're calling it a white supremacist terrorist attack, but I certainly am. The probe started with heart-wrenching testimonies from Capitol Police officers. The one I cared about most was Harry Dunn, not because he was a police officer, but because he was a black man. And his testimony made it clear that January the 6th was about nothing other than America's original sin, racism. Let's play a clip from his testimony. More and more insurrectionists were pouring into the area by the speaker's lobby near the rotunda, and some wearing MAGA hats and shirts that said Trump 2020. I told them to just leave the Capitol, and in response they yelled, no man, this is our house. President Trump invited us here. We're here to stop the steal. Joe Biden is not the president. Nobody voted for Joe Biden. I'm a law enforcement officer, and I do my best to keep politics out of my job. But in this circumstance, I responded, well, I voted for Joe Biden. Does my vote not count? Am I nobody? That prompted a torrent of racial epithets. One woman in a pink MAGA shirt yelled, you hear that, guys? This nigger voted for Joe Biden. Then the crowd, perhaps around 20 people, joined in screaming, boo, fucking nigger. No one had ever, ever called me a nigger while wearing the uniform of a Capitol Police officer. That part right there of the testimony is the part that struck me most. Like, this woman, I still, for whatever reason, had an image of everyone who was there at the Capitol being a straight white man. That's just who I envisioned. I mean, and I, and I knew that that wasn't true, but that's the image, right? Like when I think about who was there, all the pictures that I saw on social media, on news sites were men. And so this woman in a pink MAGA shirt yells at him. You hear that, guys? This nigga voted for Joe Biden. And it, no, let me say it how she said it because she didn't say it like uh, in a kinship way. This nigger voted for Joe Biden with a hard ER. And then the small crowd around her said, boo fucking nigger? Mm -hmm. What the hell? Like, if you can't listen to that and see that, regardless of your political party or affiliation or your race or your creed, and see that that is explicitly about racism and about hatred of blackness, when this black man voted for one of the whitest presidents we've seen in the last 40 years, because Trump wasn't really white. Joe Biden is white. <laughs> And what's crazy is people, for the folks who still deny like structural or systemic racism, will point to these and say this was a group of, you know, crazy extremist white folks. And, you know, this doesn't mean that that racism is still a huge problem or look how far we've come. Like it's already been proven that the folks in this crowd on January the 6th weren't just some backwoods, snaggle to snuff chewing, you know, moonshine drinking, trailer living white folks in the hills in the countryside of North Carolina or Alabama. Uh, these were educated folks. These were your school's teachers. These were your your folks who were working in banks and operating. These are folks who decide whether you get a loan, who set your rates. These are the folks who determine what's taught to your kids. Think about why we're having this conversation about critical race theory and why people are passing legislation not to teach about slavery in our schools. Mm -hmm. These are the same people who was calling this man an effing nigger. And it just burns me up. Like, I, I, I get so angry when I think about this because we, you will still have people saying, oh, that was just a few crazy white folks. Mm -hmm. 
you know, at the Capitol that day. No, mm-hmm. they have power. They have position. They have opportunity to, to influence and affect folks on many different levels. And it's just not one or two crazy white folks. Like, you know, it's it's not. I think the additional disturbing thing is that even the Republicans aren't saying they were a couple crazy white folks. Like they're saying, no, these were just some tourists who came in to see the Capitol building. So you've got Officer Dunn who's experiencing this. And he, at the end of all of it, sits in the rotunda with another black police officer. And they both share these just horrible stories about how they've been treated. You have another officer who was tased with his own taser and and had a heart attack. Like there's all these kinds of things that the fact that there are so many people who aren't calling it a terrorist attack is astonishing. They aren't even calling it crazy white people anymore. Well, and that's because they want to make it all about Trump, right? right? So they keep trying to focus on this and say that this is just folks who were here because of well, loosely Donald Trump, right? Like they want to make him the scapegoat for all of whiteness. It's the same thing we were talking about last week with the Free Britney conversation. What is Donald Trump now standing in for? So Donald Trump now is going to be sacrificed in the same way that Derek Chauvin was sacrificed because his way in which he chose to be white went too far. You went beyond what was politically acceptable and you caused this issue that's now creating a ripple effect and might cause a portion of whiteness to be corrupted or challenged. So we have to do something to recenter and reify whiteness. And what we have to do is make you the scapegoat. And so we are going to distance ourselves from the process by saying Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats have politicized this and they're on a witch hunt. But we're also going to say that it's only about Donald Trump and not about Marjorie Taylor Greene and every other Republican official who refused to even participate in the probe. I can't. I'm... I can't. You mad? I'm super mad, man. You listen to Harry Dunn as he recounts what happens on that day. And this big, this grown, full grown man, you know, is brought to tears Hmm. describing what had happened. And he said, you know, in all of his years of being a Capitol Police officer, that was the first time he was ever called a nigger. In uniform, yeah. In uniform, And one of the officers even talked about the people carrying a thin blue line flag, which is like pro-police as they, you know, tried to kill literally the Capitol Police on that day. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah. And you mentioned a bunch of people like teachers and bankers and such, but there were also law enforcement officers in that group of people. Yeah. So that put on full display the racism that has been pervasive throughout. Yes, this is all the racism being put on display and it's white people fighting white people, Hmm. right? So I think that's another tension that I'm experiencing is in these conversations so far, we've talked a lot about the fact that these Capitol Police officers in uniform were being fought by people who were police officers who were not in uniform. And there's this distinction being made. One, if you look at just Harry Dunn, he's living proof that police blue is standing for white because a black man in a blue uniform is still going to be a black man and not a blue uniform, period. Right. But additionally, it's all about whiteness and it's about racism. The United States Capitol, to me, that's a temple and a shrine of capitalist white supremacy. And then you have these insurrectionists, these terrorists. I won't call it an insurrection. It's a terror attack. Mm -hmm. You have terrorists standing on the other side saying this shrine of whiteness no longer represents us. Hmm. And so it's white fighting white 
And Harry Dunn has no choice but to be a casualty when white people are battling over who's going to be the whitest. It's about which brand of whiteness is going to win. And as long as white people are fighting, black people will still be casualties because white folk ain't never going to kill each other. Mm. They're going to kill the black folks. They're going to kill the brown folks. And they really are angry at each other and trying to take control over whiteness. But the way that they claim that power is by saying who can most effectively and most clearly kill black and brown people. Boo fucking nigger. Wow. And the, the reason that statement came up is because the terrorists on January 6th were saying nobody voted for Biden, right? Hmm. Trump is the true president. Mm-hmm. And Officer Dunn said, I voted for Biden. Does my vote not count? And the audacity of this black man right. to assert his own agency and his own value in a system that wasn't designed for him. And I'm surprised they didn't kill him. Yeah, I am too. Mm-hmm. That's a miracle. Harry Dunn is a walking, talking, living, breathing miracle. Because those white folks, they probably wanted to kill him. It Wasn't it another black man who led the people away from the uh, Congress chamber? From the Senate, yep. You got all these black folks protecting whiteness yep. while being attacked by whiteness. The imagery is so striking. Not just protecting the institution of whiteness. And Brandon, as you talk about like this whole kingdom of whiteness that's represented in the U.S. and the U.S. government and industry and business, but representing actual white people in the building, senators and congressmen mm-hmm. who would days later turn around and and try to downplay this whole thing literally yep. this man was leading people away from McCarthy away from other um Jim Jordan other leaders in Congress who turn around now as these officers give testimony and hold press conferences to still say that this wasn't a big deal correct or you know to try to draw attention away from it because they, they're never going to let go of their power and they're always going to try and reify whiteness that's it's, it's sad every time black people you got to stop giving a damn about whiteness because let me have been a capital police officer and seen them motherfuckers coming in there do you think that i was about to stand there and lead somebody away from somebody's chambers i don't care what the oath is i've seen what happens when white people are fighting white people my black ass is about to be gone Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. and then but hair it done i'm saying hey, why did you even open your mouth bro i wouldn't have said shit about <laughs> right. if i saw some white people mad in the capital with some guns talking about Trump is a true president. I'm going to be like, yep, Trump, 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 Trump. (laughs) 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 To wrap this part of the conversation up, we referenced a piece last week by Michael Harriet that was written for The Root called White People Versus Everybody. And I want to read a snippet of it because I think it's a helpful way to think about this particular conversation. I mean, it sort of lightens it up, but also makes it more serious depending on if you do that sports thing, if you like the Dallas Cowboys. So I think this may be generative for Katie and Sam. I don't do sports. So hopefully you all can pick up the sporty part of this conversation. I'll read a little bit of it. It reads, although the National Football League claims to have 32 franchises, all those logos, mascots, and jerseys really mean nothing. When it comes down to it, there are only two NFL teams, the Dallas Cowboys, and everybody else. (laughs) A little bit later on, he says, although the Republican Party platform claims to hold a number of positions, all those political issues, policy statements, and party goals mean nothing. When it comes down to it, the grand old party only stands for one thing, white people. 
Like them franchise boys from Dallas, the value of GOP's team has nothing to do with how well they play the sport of American politics. Although they have a loyal following, instead of trying to actually be good at passing bills, running the country, and tackling issues, they have pivoted toward a platform of being against things. To be fair, they are still pretty good at blocking progress. (laughs) But... To me, I think that that's a really helpful sort of analogy to draw because I don't do sports. But what I do know is people from Dallas are annoying. One of my best friends is from Dallas, Texas, and she loves the Dallas Cowboys, quintessential lesbian woman. And she's all about the Dallas Cowboys and the Texas Longhorns. I'm so over it. And so I know what, like how obnoxious Texas people in general are, but also how obnoxious like Texas people are about sports. (laughs) And I think that that's like the most helpful parallel that I've ever seen because white people are basically like Dallas Cowboys fans. Well, A, yes, I totally got it when I read that article. I, I am a Packers fan, but I cheer for the Packers and anyone who's playing the Cowboys. That's my Brandon. The Packers are Green Bay. I know they're football <laughs> team. Packers are. They're a football team. It's the green and the yellow uniforms with a big G on the head. Brandon only looks at the uniforms and the the guy's body in the uniform. So that's that's why. And the butts. Right. The butts. Exactly. Lil Nas X for your next music video. We want you to do one with football uniforms. Thanks, Brett Favor. Actually, we do have our quarterback back for this year, but that's a different story. I think I love... Oh, Grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all always end up with like 40-year-old quarterbacks. What's up with that? Yeah, but he's pretty damn good. But sports. (laughs) I loved how he ended this because not only do I get the whole Dallas Cowboys thing, but he ends it by saying white people aren't cheering for white people. They're just rooting against everybody else. Hmm. That's some powerful stuff. It is. That's real. The whole paragraph is good. White people generally support expanding health care, regulating guns, police reform, the right to choose, fair elections, and taxing corporations. Like the data actually says this. But the white people's party doesn't have to actually enact a political or economic agenda. Their stance on social issues means nothing. They have even convinced their base that the actual number of votes don't matter. The GOP has seized upon one incontrovertible truth. White people aren't cheering for white people. They are rooting against everybody else. That whole paragraph is so, like, read the whole piece. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't care about, like, the, the, now that challenges my previous notion. So it's not white people combating white people. It's white people trying to decide, no, nah, well, oh, damn, that, damn Michael Harriet. Being a sports fan, I can actually understand exactly what he's saying. Uh, my team is Alabama, Alabama football, college football. I don't care about y'all professional sports. Who cares? I don't care about that. But But I'm a huge Alabama fan, and I really, I don't care who it is, I'm against you. If you're not Alabama and like this is this is whiteness. Whiteness is just against anything else that's not white. And to that point, Brandon, it's not they're not necessarily rooting for other white people. Mm-hmm. They just rooting against anything that stands against this idea of whiteness. And it's quite sad. But what's going to defeat it? Like and when you look back over the last the last decade, the attempt to control how we count people in this country through the census, the attempts to control how people identify ethnically, you know, all of these things like it's, it's a, a steady march to preserve whiteness. Yeah. 
You know, and so it's just sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes it feels insurmountable because white people going to do every damn thing they can to preserve whiteness. So long story short, white gone white, as Pastor Sam likes to say. White gone white. White is gone white. Today's word of pod for the people of pod features my conversation with the reverend, soon to be doctor, Whitney, Rachel, Elaine Bond. We are talking about Lil Nas X, black people, and what it means for black queer folks to be placed at the center of our communities for our collective freedom and liberation. We're going to take one more quick break and be right back after this with Whitney Bond. My invitation today is to Brandon. Stop walking around the house naked. Stop answering the door naked. Stop traumatizing the Amazon delivery driver. Stop. Just stop. People are dying. How did we get here? How did we get here? (laughs) Shit. Okay, good people, welcome back from that quick break. Today's Word of Pod features a conversation with my friend and my sister, the Reverend Whitney Rachel Elaine Bond. Whitney is a PhD student of religion and theology at Chicago Theological Seminary. She is also an alumna of the Spelman College and Emory University here in the ATL, Shawty. She is currently on staff at Spelman College with Sisters Chapel, where she works with the Thriving in Ministry program with my other sister, the Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry. Whitney, welcome to the Holy Shit Pod. I'm so glad that you accepted my invitation to be here, and I want to get right into it. So, can we talk about my cousin? Montero Lamar Hill. Montero Lamar Hill from Lithonia, Georgia. Right outside the perimeter. (laughs) I love him. I do too, but I feel like I just started loving him. Old Town Road. I was like, okay, that's cute for the babies. When he did call me by your name, I was like, ma'am, ma'am. Call me when you want. Yeah. Call me when you need. Like, Uh, that was for me. Like, with Beyonce, I know when I became a stan. Yes. It was the BET Awards when she got up there and performed Crazy. No, Deja Vu. Mm Mm-hmm. That's when it was for me. Yep. With Lil Nas X. When he came out with Montero, and I was just like... It was the stripper boots for me. It was the knee-high stripper boots for me. It was this descending to hell for me. And was like, oh, so this is what y'all want? Let me give it to you. All of it. And gave what needed to be gave. Indeed. But then he came back with this industry baby. Industry baby. Montero, what are you doing to us? One, let's talk about body. Yeah. Because <laughs> the, the, the man of God is fit. Fit for the saints. The category is body. For days. <laughs> Shawty got ass. Oh, for days. No, Shawty got abs for days. Abs, like, and they don't look like overworked abs. They just look like, this is what I, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it and to you. And you're going to like it. And you're going to want it. So I think what I appreciate most about Industry Baby is it feels like it's a conflation of a whole bunch of different worlds. It's like the most ignorant hip-hop music video set in a prison. Set in a prison. Like with all of the prison trappings. But then it's also queer as fuck. Like, we just gonna be real gay in the prison now. I mean, they're already kind of gay in the prison anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I, but I was just about to say that I was just about to say that. Call a thing a thing. I just, what I really love about him and what I wish I would have had at his age is like the self-awareness and the self-confidence to just name it. Yes. To put it out there and not backtrack. 
At all. Like stand 10 toes down on it. If I would have had that at 22, 23, the last 12-ish years of my life probably would have looked a little differently. Hmm. Just because I would have been like grounded in myself and not trying to like search for all of this other stuff from other people, from other institutions to like make me whole. So talk about that. So like for the last 10 years of your life as a black queer woman, mm-hmm. are those your labels? I know black woman is one, but it's queer. Listen, black woman all day, every day. Every day. But yes, for me, I'm a black queer woman. Like I can't break up. I'm a black person. I'm a woman. I'm a queer person. Like that is my identity. All three of those words. There are some people who, you know, say I'm a black woman who is queer. And for me, I can't separate any of those things outside of myself. Right. Like, I show up as a Black queer woman. Right. Now, I do acknowledge that I also show up as a cis-hetero-presenting woman. Mm-hmm. So when people look at me, they assume that I am a heterosexual woman. Until I tell people or folks who don't know me, and then I say, you know, I have a fiancé who is another woman. What? So you'll be naked? <laughs> like, those are questions that I get. And I'm always like, it depends on how you define what a dyke is. Like, and then that opens up a whole nother conversation, right? Right. So I acknowledge the privilege in still being a cis hetero presenting woman. And so I do make it a priority to name yep. my queerness. And if I'm in a public space, if I'm speaking or whatever, because I never want people to feel like they can be comfortable enough to say foolishness around me. Absolutely. To be homophobic, to be transphobic. Because I'm going to call you out. I'm going to cuss you out. Then you can determine how we go from there. Because I'm not changing any of my stances. So that's where you are now. But where were you when you were Lil Nas X's age as a black queer woman? I was a strong ally. That is how I identified. Mm -hmm. I was just a diehard ally. And in my intimate, intimate, intimate friend groups, a few folks know that I you know, dated or had sex with women, but I still felt the need to hang on to black men just so that was like a safety net. And realizing in retrospect that like, black men are not the prize. (laughs) And that's not to say all black men. That's the same thing I say about, you know, when I start talking about white women, white people, it is never an all-encompassing thing. Right. And those who know what it is, they're never offended. So when I talk about black men being trash, those black men who are not trash never feel no way about it. When I say that all white people are racist, the right white people who are not racist and who get their cousins and, you know, do what they need to do. They know that I'm not talking about them. So just to put that little tightly out right there. But I was fresh out of college. Um trying to find myself in so many ways. Um, I graduated from Spelman with this drama degree and I was going to LA. Like I was going to be an actress Mm -hmm. and I was just going to be on the screen. That is what I thought I was going to be doing. And then fast forward to August of 2013 and God was like, yeah, you thought you were about to move to LA. I'm not going to let that happen. And literally all of the plans just fell through the floor, not even the roof. They fell through the floor the floor and I couldn't even grab them. Um, and I found myself in seminary. I was just like, God, I don't want to be here. I do not want to be here. I don't want you to call me to ministry. I completed my first semester of seminary and people knew that I was in graduate school, but they didn't know what I was in grad school for, except for my friends. 
because I was like, I don't want people to feel like they have to change around me. And I didn't want people to feel like I had to change because I was now in seminary and I was going to be at least in a traditional form of ministry for the next three years of my life. I still wanted to twerk. I still wanted to drink. I still wanted to be at the club. And do all of my stuff because I've never felt like any of that was sinful or, you know, weakened my witness for God. So, yeah, even in seminary, I was, I'm a strong ally. <laughs> How can I support you all? <laughs> Child, we was in the same boat in seminary because I was sitting there in my heart of hearts having secret desires. And then I would be like, Brandon, try. I would be trying to like drop little hints and you wouldn't say nothing. I was like, but I know my people. Queer recognized queer. I know my cousins when I see them. <laughs> You tried to drop hints and I was not in that space. And you were not. I remember when you dropped your blog piece and I was just like, and that's how you clear, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was really proud of you. I definitely think it's easier for women and Black women to say that they're queer, say that they're bi. I hate that it's that way, but... It would have been easier for me to release that piece. And people were like, okay, yeah, that's totally fine because it will still be looked at as like a fake. Right. Like you will still end up with a man. So it's fine. But for a black man to say, no, I am very much interested sexually in men and women. No, nah, you got to choose. Right. You can't be dibbing and dabbling. And I've even had to work through that my own self, realizing that I had some prejudices and I was like, why wouldn't you want to date a bi man? And then realized that bi men probably have better sex than straight black men. That's not what this conversation is about. So, I, But I think that for me, like all of that relates to the Lil Nas X video because there's something about this young 21-year-old black gay man. Yeah. This young black gay man taking up his space and claiming all of it. Unapologetically. Unapologetically. Like, I didn't have a framework for that. Like, we didn't have a bunch of old black gays. Right. That's the thing. I didn't even have a I didn't even have a language. I didn't have examples. I didn't have people to look toward, which is why I spent such a long time being an ally, because in terms of like the queer community, I only saw like super butch studs or like super, super femme women who were almost to the point of being pillow princesses. And I was just like, I don't want to do or be either one of those. Like, that's not what the Lord has called me to be. Pillow Princess. This is where we're going to go today, Pillow Princess. I thought we were having a conversation. We are. I'm not mad about it. I just, I love it. See, because typically on the podcast, I got to deal with Sam, who's black, and Katie, who's gay, and white. So I got to, like, figure out a middle ground between a man, a straight black man and a white gay woman. And I'm like, huh. So it just feels like more... Home. Like I'm at home. When I think of home, I think of a place... Where they love. Come on, dance ministry. <laughs> Do I need to get my mind gloves out? Okay, hold on one quick second. I'm just joking. Um, but yeah, that was part of the reason why I was such a strong ally because I didn't see anybody that looked like me yeah. where I felt comfortable enough to be like, oh, I can take up space in this way and like be okay. So some days I will give you soft stuff Saturday. And then other days, I'm going to beat this face down. I'm going to give you body. I'm going to give you this heel. And I'm going to give you these nails. I ain't got them on today. But I'm going to give like I'm gonna give you everything. And then I'm going to still come home to my black woman fiance and be happy. I can't even imagine what it would have looked like for me at 22 years old to do what Lil Nas X is doing. And in front of the world. In front of the world. It's still hard for me some days because of my socialization to do the same thing. I still be like... Am I, I'm going to put this on Instagram because they cool, but am I going to put this on Facebook? Oh, like I'm still there. And people be like, when you're so free, and I'll be like, child. 
If you say so. It's like, oh, so you follow me on Insta. Okay. Because look, my granny ain't on nobody's social media, but she got eyes everywhere. And so then I'm like, do I even feel like dealing with that conversation? There are all of these things. And Lil Nas X is just like, so I'm going to give y'all this teaser. Come back in two days. See the video. Do your mama know you gay? And I was just like, ask the questions, beloved. Come on. Blessed are those who ask the questions. Do your mama know you gay? That's what he asked. That's what he asked. And I was like, mine do. (laughs) She sure do. She sure do. And even with that, like, I remember when I invited my family into my truth, the unlearnings that I had to do, my family had to do, like, individually and collectively, them not understanding truly what it means to be sexually fluid and bi, like, okay, so you with a woman, what happens if you, you meet a nice man? And having to break down to them, like, Okay, let's just take the queerness aspect out of it. Say you're dating a man and you see another attractive man. Is it enough for you to stop your relationship with the person that you have now just because you find somebody else attractive? And they were all like, well, when you put it like that, I guess not. I'm like, yeah, like, don't do the most with this. Like, it is at the core, it's very much still the same thing. Absolutely. It, it really is like, and you're lying to yourself. If you say, oh, the person I'm with is the only person I'm looking at. I don't find nobody else attractive. That's a lie. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to act on it. I also say, now, if you and your partner are poly and open, that's something else. That's your business. As for me and my house. <laughs> Let God be true quick. Ah! I've yet to sell a million records. What? Why is Kimberell ignorant? Like, even in this moment, right? So I'm sitting up here. In one moment, I'm like, yes, Lil Nas X has given black folks, not just black queer folks, uh. but black folks, period. He's giving black people exactly what we need. And then here come Kim Burrell talking about, I don't know nothing about no LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. All I know that means let God be true quickly. Oh, my God. And then you got the baby out here talking about whatever he talking about. Now, let me also say in this moment, when Jonathan Kirk hit the scene, aka the baby, <laughs> when he hit the scene, I was like, "Ooh, come on!" Like, and then the more he kept opening his mouth, that's what messes it up every time. It's that mouth. It's like, and it's the double downing on it as well. It's like, dang, you know what? Y'all are so right. I messed up. I really do, and I take full accountability for. I'm going to do better in these ways. He was like, "No, like if you ain't got HIV or AIDS, then." You want offended. If you ain't sucking dick in the parking lot, <laughs> you ain't offended. Like, for real, bro? But my thing is, it was so specific that I was like, and I'm not saying, let me also say, I'm not saying that he's like undercover, you know, gay or anything like that. But I, I do find it funny that queer people live so rent-free in straight people's minds. Ah. I, genuinely mean that like they learn of our queer identity and first of all they immediately go to the bedroom they go to like the physical the physical sexual act they forget that we're still human we still have regular emotions we have ups and downs in our relationships they automatically go to like and it'd be like the most random sexual acts like I know people do have sex in public places but the fact that you immediately went to if you ain't sucking a nigga dick in the parking lot, like... That's descriptive. We had a whole location. How, how did we get there? In the parking lot, in the car. Pants on the ground, pants on the ground. Looking like a fool with your pants on the ground. How, how did we get there? And so it, I'm always just like, why, but why are, you so, why are you so interested in what's going down? 
Cause stuff that ain't got nothing to do with me, I don't care. Right. I ain't I'm not Googling. I'm not looking it up. I'm not on my phone on Pornhub looking at it. Like I am not interested. That ain't my business. But for you to be so specific in that statement, and he's not the only one, he's just a public example. Correct. Why is our business like up here in your head? You should be working on putting out an album. And this is the trickier part. For him to talk about HIV and AIDS and STDs and STIs. Don't he got, how many kids he got? Three, four? Child, I don't keep up with him that heavy. Mm-mm. But that is to say that you have had sex without condoms to women that you're not married to. At least three or four times. And that's not to say that people contract these diseases solely from sex or that, you know, they're nasty like he suggested. That's It's like getting a cold. You can't determine when it's going to happen. So for you to say that, like, why is that at the front of your mind? Why are you so interested in making a public announcement about this? What We need to unpack that because you, and I'm not saying we as in me and Jonathan Kirk, Pal, you, you need to unpack that. And then to say, oh, I was just waiting to transition the song. That's the only thing you can come up with to go into your next song? Well, then go drink some water. Then go take a sip. And DJ behind him. Yeah. Yeah. No, sir. No, man. No. Mm-mm. So anything that happens as a result, that's a fallout? Well, and for me, I'm going to be real. I read it as like, directly connected to Lil Nas X's video dropping. Okay. Because when because he made these comments on Saturday of last week. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the video dropped Friday. And the video dropped Friday. And then just out of left field, this is what you're going to come out with. I mean, it, it has nothing to do with anything. It's not a seg. You wouldn't setting up your next song. He said that he was. He said that's what he was using to wait for the DJ to drop the next song. But the next song that he dropped had nothing to do with what he just said. Nothing at all. And then for Clifford Harris... To come behind him and say, if, "That's Ti." Oh yes. <laughs> if Lil Nas X can talk his shit, then the baby can talk his shit too. That's equality. No, one is attached to violence, and another one is just an artist also sharing their like life in art form. Those two are not connected at all, and he needs to be shutting up anyway. Because he's finna go to jail. But that's the thing, right? Like, these superstars stand in for conversations that are happening in every everyday life. Like, anytime that I choose to attire myself in a manner that makes, makes it more explicitly clear that I'm gay, I no longer try to hide it. But I used to wear the bag of your clothes. But now, anytime there's that outward expression of queerness, of gayness, of what some might call femininity, the reaction by straight men is to posture themselves as being more macho, typically by making a homophobic comment or some sort of gay slur. And so, like, that's the equivalent of what I think was happening with the baby and Clifford Harris. I'm not about to call him Clifford. Like, you're a grown man going by the baby. You you was out here in a diaper. I'm I'm realizing that the more that Lil Nas X is putting the conversation like on Front Street, because Black people we do do a good job of having these conversations like amongst friends and sometimes family members if we feel safe. Mm-hmm. And he's just putting it out there. And what I'm starting to, as the saints say, discern is that a lot of cis hetero black men are feeling threatened and or jealous. Hmm. Pressure claim. So a couple of weeks ago, my fiance was at a birthday gathering. Not a lot of people. It was like five, six people. Somebody at the party realized after hours of hanging out with her 
that her fiance was not a man and was a woman and went into, oh, but she another film like you. I can respect that. It's when it be these dykes out here trying to be a man that I can't get with. I can respect y'all because at least it's just two like real women together. And neither one of y'all um, is trying to like act like you're a man. And he was just like, these fags out here wearing dresses and shit. I can't stand that shit. Why, why do you feel so passionately about that is what I would ask. Why does this impact you the way that it does? That's the question. And usually it's, I just don't like it. But why? If it has nothing to do with you, why are you having such a visceral reaction to it? You touched on something there. There's always been an assumption about the hierarchy within our communities, right? So one white, straight white men are always going to be at the top, full stop. I mean, that's, this is, these are the assumptions, not mine, but these are the communities, the culture's assumptions. And then after straight white men, you get straight white women. Mm-hmm. And after straight white women, you get gay white men. Right. I mean, and you go all the way down until you get to the black community. And in reality, black men want to position themselves, themselves as, as white, white men. men. So they need to be at the top of the black community. And yep. I mean, in our rhetoric in the civil rights movement and our rhetoric inside of churches substantiates this, right? That we want to put black men at the center and or at the top of our communities. And in the past, mm-hmm. because of our patriarchal heteronormative formation, we've all accepted that standard. If my father says X, if my husband says X, if my pastor says this, then this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. Wives submit to your husbands. Children obey your parents. And so black men for centuries have been allowed to cultivate their identities inside of this vacuum where in all of their a sense of purpose comes from being at the top. And so when you don't have the same sort of framework, when Lil Nas X is like, no, I'm gay and my mama knows it and my daddy know it and my daddy gonna tell the baby to sit his ass down and you got Dwayne Wade coming out and supporting his trans child. Zaya, I just smile when I see her. But it messes up the hierarchy. And they don't know what to do with it. And they don't know what to do. And, there are, and there's an invitation in that. An option is do some work and figure out why all of your identity is placed inside of you being at the top of the black community and figure out what it means to be a partner. Figure out what it means to be a member and not the top. They don't want that. They want to hold on to their individual power. It's gone. That's, that's what they want. And I've said this time and time again. There are so many Black people who are practicing Black liberation in whiteface. Like, my God, they are Black. You know, you look at them, you see a Black person and then they start talking and you're like, is this for me? Is, is this really for me? Because I could get this at, at the Presbyterian church up the street from the white man. Boop. Like y'all are saying the exact same thing. There is no liberation in this for me. Whiteness is a hell of a drug. That's the truth. It really is. It's like you get that first taste of it, you be like, ooh. I want some more of that. How can I get some more? Exactly. How can I get some more? And before you know it, you, your whole existence is based off of the high of, of whiteness. How can I be at the top? Like you want to say, oh, I'm a black person, but you're doing everything in your power to separate yourself from blackness. Black men, black preachers have been able to say, hey, the primary thing that matters is the fact that you're black. And if you're doing anything other than being black, 
then you're a threat to the race. Implicit in that logic is black, straight, and male. If you're doing anything that decenters or interrogates black, straight masculinity, then you're a disservice to the race. And so if you're if that's what you're preaching, if that's what you're rapping about, if that's what you're teaching in your classroom, you really ain't about black freedom. Yeah. You're not about liberation. Because it's the liberation of all people, not people that look like you. Correct. Because if truth be told, I should only be worried about the liberation of other queer black folks. But I know that in order to do this work, I can't do it in a vacuum of only interacting with queer black people. Like I'm going to need cis hetero people in order to do the, the true liberation. But I need those people to understand that I'm not trying to center them or get towards a space where, oh, OK, maybe I can hide under their guise. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Well, and I think the reality is, and this is why still Lil Nas X is such a, he just gives me life. I love Lil Nas X because this whole thing with the Bell Project, it to me symbolizes, encapsulates even, the fact that Black queer folks, when we've been trying to get liberated and get free for ourselves, it's always been about all the Black people. When we sitting there in the choir stand, directing the hell out of the choir, or hollering on the microphone and leading people in worship so they can get some sort of cathartic release of the white supremacy that they've been drinking for the entire week. When we do all of that work, it's for the good of the community. Mm -hmm. And so if y'all would actually just decenter yourselves for just one moment and just let us live, then we're going to sit here and raise $20,000 for the bail fund within hours of releasing a music video. Because we already have the understanding that in order for us to get free, all of us got to get free. Yeah. So my question is, you are a scholar of religion, culture, theology, ethics, and you place church, black church, at the center of your work. Are you hopeful for black churches? I do have hope for black churches. Am I holding my breath to see it manifested in my lifetime? I'm not. Is it going to stop me from doing this work? It's not. Because in the words of Greg Ellison, how are you impacting the three feet around you? So if I can have a conversation with somebody and they leave my presence feeling like, you know what? I'm going to be all right. I'm going to make it. Then when they go and interact with somebody else, then they're changing. So I'm focused on who, who do I have access to in my three feet? And we'll see what happens with black churches is all I can say. Because until the people who are, are yet in power decide that it's enough and it's time for a new thing to be brought to life, either I'm going to use all of my energy trying to tear them down or I'm just going to create something new. Whitney Bond, I love you. I love you too. We have got to have you back again. Yeah, let me know. You know I'm going to do it. Anything for you. All right, love. Goodbye. Bye. If you enjoyed my conversation with Whitney, you should go follow one of her many social media channels. Her primary IG handle is at Ms. Bond, number two, letter U. That's Miss Bond to you. And there, you can also find a few of her other social media channels, including at Still Save, at Beat by Bondi, and Whitney B. Cooks. 
And that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. We are grateful to you for once again hanging out with us here on the Holy Shit Pod. One of the things that we love most is connecting with you. We are two episodes away from our 25th episode celebration and we want to hear from you. So head on over to theolabmedia.com, click the purple hexagon in the bottom right hand corner of the page and send us a voicemail. You can also send an email to holyshit at theolabmedia.com to connect with us, ask us a question, submit a discussion topic, or just to say hello. And if you are listening in Apple Podcast or any other podcast app that allows you to submit ratings, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a review. It's just another helpful way to send us feedback and to let other people know how much you love the Church of Holy Shit. All right. We'll be back next week in the same time at the same place. Until then, peace.